For three decades, Baker Hostetler has hosted its annual legislative seminar among the premier public policy showcases on Capitol Hill. If you've attended this event in Washington, you know the legislative seminar is a power-packed forum where attendees hear firsthand from leading officials in the nation's capital, including vice presidents, House speakers, leading senators, committee chairs, and rank-and-file lawmakers. The legislative seminar will be in person once again in 2023, but this year Baker Hosteller is transforming the legislative seminar into an informative podcast series. Each week, our federal policy team leader, former Congressman Mike Ferguson, and former Congressman Heath Schuler, a senior advisor at Baker Hosteller, will be interviewing members of the House and Senate, both Democrats and Republicans, on the latest action on Capitol Hill. I'm Leanne Lee, and you're listening to Baker Hosts. Today, Mike is talking with Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamoorthy of Illinois. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm former Congressman Mike Ferguson, the leader of Baker Hostetler's federal policy team, which provides our clients with federal government affairs, consulting and lobbying services. Welcome to our 33rd annual legislative seminar this year as a series of podcasts with leading members of Congress. I'm usually joined by my former colleague in Congress and my current colleague here at Baker Hostetler, Heath Schuler. Heath is a former Democratic congressman from North Carolina. I'm a former Republican congressman from New Jersey, but Heath is off today, so I will be handling these interview duties solo today. Congress is facing a big calendar crunch with lawmakers working hard to advance big legislative items before their scheduled August recess. One major bill could be passed by Democrats on a party line vote, and a second significant bill could pass with big bipartisan majorities. To help us to understand where Congress is going in the coming weeks, we're grateful to have with us Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamoorthy. He's from Illinois. Raja is in his third term representing the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. He is a member of the House Intelligence Committee and the Oversight and Reform Committee. One of his first political jobs was as issues director for Barack Obama's 2004 Senate campaign. Today, he's a well-respected voice within the House Democratic Caucus and more broadly within Congress. And we're proud to have the Congressman join us on this Baker Hostetler podcast today. Raja, I'm glad that you could join us today. Welcome. Hey, good morning. Thank you. Well, we've got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to jump right into it. So the, the White House is signaling that it's prepared to settle for a super scaled down Build Back Better bill that would authorize both Medicare negotiation of prescription drug prices, some critics would say government setting prices, but also extending Affordable Care Act premium subsidies. That would be a you know, a much smaller package than many Democrats had wanted, but it would still represent the most far-reaching health care bill since the Affordable Care Act was enacted. Um, some progressive lawmakers have made no secret of their frustration with this uh, slimming down process. Now, you're an assistant whip. You're helping to count votes in your caucus. What's your sense on where we are on reconciliation? And do you think this gets done in July or do you have to wait until September after the August recess to try to see if Senator Joe Manchin will will support maybe adding other provisions like tax pr- provisions or climate provisions? What, what's your sense of where we are now? Um, well, my personal preference uh, is to get it done right now. 
uh, while the uh, offer or deal or arrangement is still on the table. Um, I think that getting a, a deal on lowering prescription drug prices uh, would be a, a big achievement. Uh, and it's one of the top priorities for my constituents. So I would definitely take that deal right now. Uh, I would not wait for, uh, you know, any, uh, I, would, I, I would not wait for the elapse of time uh, that might, uh, you know, make a, a deal even harder later in the, later in the year. Yeah. So, so waiting until September to see if sort of the environment has changed a little bit. I know Senator Manchin has been, I don't know, difficult to negotiate with and, and to get across the finish line in this. So your sense is try to take a bird in hand now uh, rather than uh, wait to try to get something more in September. Oh, absolutely. And also, you know, it has the benefit of uh, the sooner that we get this passed and potentially signed into law, the sooner that our constituents can benefit from lower drug prices. Of course, the ACA uh, open enrollment period is going to be coming up pretty soon again. Um, I know because I'm on Obamacare. I'm on the ACA. My family and I are. So, uh, uh, you know, for a lot of people, especially uh, lower income folks, those subsidies are crucial for them to be able to buy, uh, you know, their preferred options on the ACA. Sure. So um, what, what do you think your colleagues are at? Do you think there's sort of a general sentiment of uh, similar position to where you're at on this? Or do you think is there is there a lot of division right now? I'm not sure about division. I, I definitely think there's probably disappointment that the uh, package can't be bigger, um, especially given where we first started out. But I think there's a realization that uh, this is a significant achievement. Uh, lowering prescription drug prices is so important. I mean, all of us have our own stories about uh, families or individuals who are literally uh, deciding, you know, whether to buy insulin uh, or, you know, prioritize other bills, including their rent and um, other important uh, payments in their lives. And that should not be a dilemma that folks are in. You know, the other day I was at the supermarket and um, uh, the pharmacy in the supermarket um, and I, I, I was in line and there was an elderly woman who was uh, ahead of me and she uh, rang up her prescription meds. And the person on the other end said, uh, the cashier um, said, you know, that's going to be $300. And um, you, you could see, you could just hear the resignation in her voice, um, you know, when she heard the, the bill. And you can tell that, you know, that's, that's going to make a, a significant uh, dent in her you know, monthly budget. As you know, seniors are on a fixed income. And so, you know, these, these particular um, issues have a real life uh, negative impact on, on millions of people. Right, right. Absolutely. That's a powerful story. Um, what, the, other, the other bill I was mentioning in the intro is the so-called USICA bill, the um, uh, China competitiveness bill. They uh, it would do a number of things. It's a it's, it's been a broad, broad piece of legislation, but it's kind of been slimming down a little bit uh, too. It's had some bipartisan support on, I think, on both both sides of the Capitol. 
So the Senate looks like it's going to act on a slimmed down version of legislation to promote domestic semiconductor manufacturing and economic competitiveness with China. Do you think this legislation will move before the August recess? I mean, you're a, you're a member of the House Intelligence Committee. You really have insights into a lot of things that uh, maybe typical Americans don't have access to. Uh, do you think this is going to pass? And do you think it's going to be enough to meet the challenge of competing with China? Well, there's... Um... There are two different versions of this bill. There's something called USICA, which you mentioned, uh, which I think is a very good piece of legislation. It has a lot of important provisions, including some of my own uh, related to um, immigration provisions, uh, as well as uh, provisions with, with regard to higher education, my College Transparency Act, which finally allows students and families to shop for college with full information about student outcomes. However, the USICA bill, um, you know, is in conference committee. Uh, it's very, um, it's 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 a very large bill, uh, and and as a consequence, uh, there's there's a lot of people with, um, with uh, input into what its provisions should be, and so um, I'm not sure about its fate at this time, uh, whether we'll be able to get that past the finish line. There's something else called the CHIPS bill, uh, which is kind of a slimmed down uh, USICA bill. Uh, someone said it, it's a slimmed down bill. I, I, I would say it's like a baked chips, uh, very uh, uh, light on um, you know anything other than the semiconductor chip manufacturing piece. And uh, this, uh, this baked chips bill, if you will, um, does have a good chance of passing in the Senate, and then it comes to the House, and I think my guess is that we would probably uh, approve it because you know the, the stakes are very high right now. Uh, the vast majority of our semiconductor chips are imported. As you know, there's a shortage of a lot of these, um, and I think that uh, because of the importance of these semiconductors to so many industries in America and the need for us from a national security standpoint, to be able to, uh, and a commercial standpoint, to be able to produce these here, uh, I think that that slimmed down version of, of the semiconductor chips bill, what I call the baked chips bill, is going to pass. Yeah. Do you think that passes before the August recess, or might it, I mean, we know big big bills? You and I both know big bills uh, sometimes get caught up. There's always something to. For someone not to like, but this slimmed down or baked chips version of the bill, do you think that you think that can move before the August recess, or or will it have to wait? There, there is a chance of that moving. I, I, I do think there's a little bit of interaction, interestingly, be, between that bill and the reconciliation bill, mm. um, in the sense that I think Majority Leader Schumer in the Senate needs to give his members. Uh, I think some kind of package of bills that will um, satisfy a lot of different interests. Um, I think the prescription drug price and the H uh, ACA subsidies bill is very important for everybody. Uh, the CHIPS bill, I, I think, is also important to a lot of people. And I think that, as usual around here, they'll probably try to move everything uh, in a similar timeline so that uh, we can get as many votes on both as possible. 
Sure, interesting. Uh, let me turn to a more somber topic. Your your district is next door to Highland Park, where right. seven people were killed by a gunman during a Fourth of July celebration. Just absolutely awful, awful news. Um, you know, Congress approved this bipartisan gun control legislation this year. Can parents feel? You know, you're a dad. I'm a dad. Can parents feel safer about their kids going to school or concerts or community events, going to the supermarket? Um, and, and after this new law, um, is there more that Congress could realistically enact given the, given the numbers and where the votes are right now? Well, first of all, I, I have to say that 4th of July um, mass shooting uh, where seven people were gunned down by an individual with a Smith & Wesson uh, MNP-15. The MNP stands for Military and Police. It was an AR-15 style rifle. Um, was absolutely horrifying. And it, it's a reminder that until we can reduce access to those weapons of war, nobody's safe anywhere. And that's a very somber statement to make, but it's true. And um, this American problem of mass shootings every day at this point, um, unfortunately happened on a uniquely American holiday, the 4th of July. And that um, continues to shape how a lot of my constituents view this issue and certainly how I view this issue. I think the Safer Communities Act was a good start. It's a good, it's a good step in the right direction. It does a lot to invest in mental health uh, resources, making our schools safer. Uh, it expands uh, what types of inputs go into background checks, especially for juveniles. Um, it also incentivizes states to adopt red flag laws. But at the end of the day, uh, unless and until we're able to remove and reduce access to these very, very dangerous weapons, uh, such as um, AR-15s, uh, from the hands of people who want to do others harm or do themselves harm, uh, we're not really going to make a significant dent in uh, in our gun violence problem. I, I, I also have my own legislation called the Cool-Off Act, which is a three-day waiting period for the purchase of handguns. I think this is extremely important. It's been shown to uh, reduce homicides and suicides by significant amounts, mainly because it takes the passion out of crimes of passion. I'm going to continue pushing for that. Yeah. Well, the, the string of news on these shootings has been absolutely awful. Yes. So. Um, let me, let me ask you, let me pivot <laughs> to a, uh, you know, we're in an election year. Let me ask you a political question. You know, you're in a suburban district in Northwest of Chicago, I guess after the redrawing of the, the, uh, uh the maps this year, your, your district got on paper anyway, a little bit more competitive after redistricting, you know, president Biden's job approval numbers obviously aren't great right now. There's some economic uncertainty and headwinds out there. I know I I was on the ballot for a couple of midterm elections of, with a president of my own party. It wasn't wasn't always that much fun. Um, but you know you're plugged in with your mayors, your elected officials. You know you're working hard in your district. You're talking to voters. Voters. You know, give us a flavor for the mood that's out there. You know, in this sort of quintessentially suburban district that certainly leans democratic, but you know theoretically, people say could be competitive in a, in a big Republican wave year. How are you feeling and what are you hearing on the ground? 
I think the mood is one of restlessness, honestly. Um, I think that people are upset about the ha- high gas prices, although they are inching down. Um, they're still rather high. Um, I think food prices are still high. Um, in, in cities, unfortunately, there's been an increase in crime. But on the other side, they also highly prize their freedoms, including women's reproductive freedom, which is under attack right now after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. They are extremely upset about gun violence, kind of the extreme positions that some of my colleagues on the other side have adopted with regard to fighting for the Second Amendment at any cost. And they're also worried about democracy. They want to see, uh, for instance, those who were uh, responsible for January 6th, 2001, the insurrection on Capitol Hill, uh, accountable for their acts. And they're concerned that people on the other side will not only not hold people accountable, but perhaps relitigate the 2020 election altogether. So that's kind of the set of issues that I think people are thinking about. Um, and then from my vantage point, I'm, I'm trying to do whatever I can to you know, uh, help people through our constituent services and other means, regardless of their political preference. I think a lot of people know that, um, you know, my office is probably one of the best in the country at this point in terms of just uh, assisting uh, where, wherever and whenever we can with anything. Sure. Yeah, I certainly remember the value and the importance of constituent services. And I know you have a reputation for being one of the best. Um, Thank you. Let me ask you one more question. I know we're short on time and I know how busy you are. Um, you know, it, it's funny. One thing we aren't hearing as much in the campaign rhetoric or or elsewhere, frankly, is about the pandemic. Uh, you know, you're, right. you're a member of the select subcommittee on the coronavirus crisis. Um, what do you think are some of the important lessons we've learned from these, you know, two and a half years of, of a pandemic? How, how should that or could that be related into public policy? And, and by the way, should we be concerned about monkeypox? <laughs> um, yeah, I think we should. Although I'm, I'm a little more concerned about COVID right now in the sense that there are new, uh, there are new variants uh, on the horizon. Um, and, and new variants here in the United States. There's something called the BA5 and there's a BA2.5 overseas, which are on their way to the United States. Yeah. We've made a lot of progress uh, with regard to COVID. The fact that I can meet with people um, in person, the fact that we can travel, uh, every seat on every airplane that I've been on in the past several weeks has been full. I think people are really right. taking advantage of this time to get around and see family and friends and yeah. uh, engage in some of the uh, tourism that our economy so badly needs. Right. All that being said, uh, we, we still need to do more in terms of making sure that more people get vaccinated. Uh, we need to do a lot more to get, to make sure that people abroad are vaccinated. That has been a, a passion of mine. I introduced something called the NOVID Act. It's a play on words, no more COVID, uh, to you know essentially get the rest of the world vaccinated so that those variants that are popping up uh, don't keep popping up and then come here and defeat the uh, vaccines that we worked so hard to develop and so many people have now um, had administered to them. So 
we, we have a, we still have a ways to go. Um, I, I, I think that COVID at some point might become an endemic uh, condition where we're able to handle it without having people go to the hospital and develop cases that really overwhelm our healthcare system. I don't think we're there yet, but we're on our way. Yeah, well, that's that's certainly good news. Well, and thank you. Thanks for your work on that. And uh, obviously, it's something that's impacted all of us so deeply and certainly hoping we're, we're continuing to move past it. But Raja, I know how busy you are. We're really grateful that you've taken the time to join us on this Baker Hostetler podcast. And we hope to talk to you again soon. And, and certainly, you know, our listeners will value your insights today. So thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Well, thank you for joining us for this 33rd annual Baker Hostetler Legislative Seminar this year as a series of podcasts from my friend and colleague, former Congressman Heath Schuler. I am former Congressman Mike Ferguson. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Congressman Krishnamurthy and Mike. If you have any questions for Mike, his contact information is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting with a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of the participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.